Wow. Well, I just have to say, uh, I'm super encouraged by, by your community. I'm just encouraged by your community. Uh, it has been a journey for us to get here. I don't even know, like I was sharing with the other room before we started. <laughs> this started a couple years ago, two and a half years ago, I think, when MBL had like 37 monthly listeners on Spotify. And, and you know, Josiah would say I was probably all of them. And, uh, you know, it's like you guys were just singing songs that are sang in churches all over the places. I think Faber 115 and there's songs that we sing all the time, but I just heard a hunger. I heard a hunger in the people in this community and that hunger has spread uh, to us in Alaska. Uh, I just we were at a, a random church and they were singing one of your songs in Alaska. Uh, praise the Lord for that, that your uh, your gift to the body through music has just it's it's spread throughout the land, which uh, this passage, I was just thinking about it uh, in Romans chapter one. It says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. That without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers. Asking that somehow by God's will I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. And that is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. And that's the reality of of what this last few days has been for us. I feel like it's kind of like a cheap exchange that I get to stand up here and share with you. And you guys have just ministered to me so deeply and I feel greatly refreshed and it was much needed. So thank you. We love your community and we're excited for what God's doing here Uh, tonight. I'm just going to spend some time equipping. This is just going to be a time of equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Uh, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, you have received the commission to go to the ends of the earth and proclaim the gospel. There's, there's no debating about it. It's, it's actually... Uh, an immediate activation from the moment you place your faith in him. And we'll unpack that a little bit. Uh, But for me, what it looked like is uh, I was 24 years old before I heard the gospel for the first time. And when I heard the gospel for the first time, I heard it from a guy who was smoking crack while I was shooting cocaine directly into my neck. And he shared the gospel with me, this man smoking crack. Isn't it so kind of the Lord that he would use... A man smoking crack to tell me that Jesus died for me. For the first time in my life, I heard the gospel. And I looked at him and I said, Jesus doesn't want anything to do with me. And he says, Jesus came and he died for people like us. And that began this process, this journey, where uh, a few weeks later, I found myself in prison. Uh, turned myself in because I cried out to God for the first time and Jesus showed up in the form of Anchorage Police Department. And uh, I find myself in jail. I go to treatment, Salvation Army Treatment Center. And while I'm there, a guy tells me, he says, hey bro, go start reading Romans. And I start reading in Romans. And I don't know if you guys know much about Romans, but chapter 1, 2, and about half of 3, it just doesn't seem like the greatest news if you don't know the rest of the story. And so I'm like, the righteous wrath of God is poured out on all ungodliness? Like, this is horrible. Like, And I go to the guy, and I'm like, man, give me something good to read. And he's like, bro, it's Romans. It's as good as it gets. Go start in chapter 1 and don't stop till you get to 16. And I got to chapter 5. And I was reading in chapter 5, and it says that God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in that moment, I thought of that man who told me that Jesus died for me. And it became real because I read it in his word. And all of a sudden, I found myself on the floor weeping, thanking God, knowing that I had been saved. And immediately, immediately, all 55 men in that treatment center knew Romans 5.8. Because the reality of what, we, what we've received from Jesus is something that needs to be shared. It's something that needs to be told. Yeah. And I knew how many people like me, 24 years old, had never heard the gospel. And so immediate activation. 
And, and I'll tell you right now, the, the issue that we have around evangelism, the issue we have around, around global missions, the issue that we have around discipleship, it's not an evangelism issue. It's not a discipleship issue. It's not a missions issue. It's a love issue. Because we're compelled by the love of God. That when the love, when we get met by the love of God, He compels us so forward to go and share the gospel with other people who have never heard of this love. And so at the start of Jesus' ministry, uh, in Mark chapter 5, or sorry, uh, Matthew 4, 19, Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And then he says in Luke chapter 5, verse 10, he says, he says to his disciples, from now on, I'm going to have you fishing for people. Now remember, immediate activation. This is the first time that this strange man shows up on the scene, his first words to them, follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And they drop their nets and they immediately follow him. Then at the end of Jesus's ministry, the last words he says to his disciples before he ascends, you guys know it. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. And he says, now you go and go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, he begins, come, follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. At the end of Jesus's ministry, come, come, go now. I'm going to send you out so that you might be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And those two things, they act as bookends in the Gospels. It's the start and it's the end. And everything in between is Jesus discipling his disciples so that they might go and make disciples. We have to understand that discipleship isn't just discipling people unto Jesus. It's discipling disciple makers. And we miss that. Yeah, make disciples. But we need to disciple disciple makers. Now, it's important to understand the context of what Jesus says here at the beginning of his ministry. Because a lot of people, they just assume, oh yeah, that makes sense. It's a group of fishermen. You know, it's kind of a play on words here. He's taking fishermen. He's saying he's going to make them fishers of men. But there's something more than that happening here. Uh, Jeremiah 16 is actually where this all starts. 700 years prior to Jesus' arrival when he declares, I'm going to make you fishers of men, is where this statement starts. I'm going to start in verse 10 of Jeremiah chapter 16. This is what he says. He says, and when you tell this people all these words, and they say to you, why has the Lord pronounced all this great evil against us? What is our iniquity? What is the sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? Then you shall say to them, because your fathers have forsaken me, declares the Lord God. And they have gone after other gods. And they have served and worshipped them. And they have forsaken me and have not kept my law. And because you have done worse than your fathers. For behold, every one of you follows his stubborn evil will, refusing to listen to me. Therefore, I will hurl you out of this land into a land that is neither you nor your fathers have known. And there you shall serve other gods day and night, for I will show you no favor. Verse 14. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when it shall no longer be said, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them. For I will bring them back to their own land and I will give that I have given to their fathers. Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord, and they shall catch them. And afterward, I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt for them. 
from every mountain and every hill and out of the clefts of the rocks. For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from me, nor their iniquity concealed from my eyes. But first I will doubly repay their iniquity and their sin because they have polluted my land with carcasses and their detestable idols and have filled my inheritance with their abominations. O Lord, my strength and my stronghold, my refuge in the day of trouble. To you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth and say, Our fathers have inherited nothing but lies, worthless worthless things in which these that do not profit can you make for him, can he make for himself gods such are not gods therefore behold i will make them know this once i will make them know my power and my might and they shall know that my name is the lord 700 years before jesus arrives god foretold that the people us included our nation our 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 world was going to Reject the Lord. We are going to wander from the Lord. And that when this fullness of time comes, he says, behold, the days are coming when he's going to send for fishers and he's going to send for hunters and they're going to go to the ends of the earth and they're going to gather in the outcasts and they're going to gather in the scattered and they're going to gather in those who have been rejected and those who have been forgotten and those who have been overlooked and those who have wandered away from God and they're going to bring them back so that they might know, verse 21, that he is the Lord. Jeremiah prophesied then that the days are coming and I stand today and I prophesy that the day is now. That the day is now that the Lord is drawing people to himself so that they might we might be fishers of men so if you're a follower of jesus in this room tonight you've been called you've been commissioned and most importantly you've been commanded to fish for people commanded by the lord himself to fish for people charles spurgeon he said it this way he said every believer is either a missionary or an imposter. I mean, that's hard, but let it sink in because there's truth in that. Listen, what Charles Spurgeon didn't say and what I'm not saying is that every believer in here is an evangelist or every believer in here is a pastor or every believer in here is, is an apostle, that we've all been given gifts, differing gifts, unto the end of making disciples of every tribe, nation, and tongue. So... With that, every believer in here is either a missionary called by God to join him on his mission, or we're not a believer at all. But what does this mean? That's what we're going to spend our time in tonight. What does it mean to fish for people? How do we fish for people? And as I've been praying about this, the Lord, uh, being from Alaska, we fish in Alaska. We got a lot of fish in Alaska. Alaska has the biggest salmon fishery in all the world. Uh, And specifically, I think it translates to what Jesus is talking about here because these men weren't fishing with fishing rods. These men were fishing with nets, which is what they do in Alaska. It's what we do in Alaska. We fish with nets. We do fish with rods too, but there's, there's a lot of nets catching fish. And so what I want to do is I want to talk about how Jesus, I believe this is Jesus's first parable actually, uh, an earthly picture that explains a kingdom reality and so jesus says i'm going to make you fishers of men how many of us have actually thought much about what goes into fishing how that would translate from fishing in the natural to fishing in the spiritual and this last couple weeks i have found a whole lot of comparison the first thing preparation fishing requires a ton of preparation where are we going to go fishing What will we need to go fishing? What supplies will we need for fishing? What resources will we need for fishing? Who's going to go fishing with us? What's worked in the past? What hasn't worked in the past? There's a ton of preparation that goes into fishing. And the same is true when we translate that into fishing for men in the spiritual. There's a ton of preparation that goes into it. I'm going to talk about a lot of the preparation, but I'm going to start first with with the first and most important thing that we can do to prepare ourselves for the mission field, and that's prayer. The first and most important aspect of preparation is prayer. 
Prayer is the greatest means by which we prepare. Hands down. This is why when Jesus sends out his 72 missionaries in Luke chapter 10, what's the first thing he says to them? Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Before he tells them to do anything else, he starts there. Pray. Pray often. This is why Jesus says, listen, you guys have made my house into a house of den, a den of robbers. And he says, but my house will be a house of prayer. And we usually stop right there. But he says, my house will be a house of prayer for the nations. Unto the nations. So not only nations being reached, but the house of prayer will be this place where the nations are also brought into. Prayer prepares our heart. Prayer connects us to the heart of the Father. Romans 8, it says, we don't even know how to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit, He helps us in our weakness. And He begins to reveal to us the thoughts and intentions of the heart of God. He tells us the heart of the Father, the Spirit of God, communicating between us and the Father, and His heart gets imputed into us through prayer. This is why I would say most of the time, prayer should be more listening than it is talking. Because prayer is that place where we receive our marching orders. It's where we, we receive the affection of a father just sitting and communing with us and us with him. Prayer is where we begin to understand the heart of God. It has to start there. I've seen far too many people on the mission field get chewed up and spit out because of a lack of a prayer life. A lack of intimacy. Sarah was just saying in the other room, we've had 30 conversations. Sarah's moved to Alaska, sold everything, went to Alaska. We've had 30 conversations about the importance of not just being busy doing a bunch of stuff, but ministering unto the Lord first. And out of ministering unto the Lord, we minister to people. And so much of this is because the mission field, what God's called us into, he's calling us into a war. It's a war and prayer is where we receive that divine weaponry that it talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. That divine weaponry, it's where we step into the full armor of God. It's where we remind ourselves of what Jesus has done for us. It's where we sit and we listen to him and where he wants us to go and what he wants us to do. We have to be a people who are praying And so I say this as a warning in some ways. Uh, If you're sitting in this room and you're feeling stirred for the mission field and you have not yet learned to pray, don't go. Until you learn to pray. Uh, Yesterday, we go out on mission. Uh, The thing that ministered to my heart the most was the fact that prior to going... We sat in a time of prayer together. I would say to your community, spend more time praying prior to going. Spend more time praying together prior to going. Because here's what happens. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost is a group of people sitting in the upper room. Spirit of God pours out bold proclamation. Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas are commissioned. Apostles and teachers are coming together. Prophets and teachers, they pray together. The Spirit of God says, go. Send them out. And that's what happens when people come together in one accord. So we need to be prepared. And being prepared comes through prayer. Um, I'll say this as kind of a word of caution around preparation. Um, We all know those who are probably a little overprepared. Some of us in this room probably can feel that like, man, I just feel like I always have to be overprepared for every single thing that I do. Uh, I would just say... That we walk by faith and not by sight. So there's a component to this that says not every single thing is going to make sense. We're not going to be able to make decisions based on what we see as the results. And whether those results are going to mean comfort. Or whether those results are going to seem to be ideal for our liking. Uh, so we would, I would say don't be, don't be over prepared in the sense that you become paralyzed by your preparation. But that you also wouldn't be underprepared. We see that with like seven sons, sons of Sceva. You guys know this story? It's these 
Jewish itinerants who have some sons who see that the apostles are casting out demons and they're like, man, we're going to cast out demons to the Jesus who Paul is acknowledging and a demon straight up just like beats them up, leaves them bloody, chases them out of town. And I would say those people were unprepared. And here's what we talk about often, my wife and I, that the preparation for that type of stuff, that, that spiritual war type of stuff, it has to happen in the airways before it happens on the ground. So what we pray for before we go to villages, before we go on mission trips, as we begin to pray regarding these things in the spiritual realm so that these spiritual principalities know who we are before we even show up on the ground there. So we need to be prepared. Second, we count the cost. We, need, we have to count the cost. Fishing is costly. Uh, boats, nets, equipment, everything that goes into fishing, there's nothing cheap about fishing. In fact, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, about this very topic, and he goes, man, I would feel ashamed to tell you how much money I spend on fishing in the natural. It's just ridiculously expensive. And I was thinking about this as it relates to the spiritual. The call of God onto the mission field is costly. We have to give up some things. We have to die to the pursuits and the riches of this world. We have to trust Jesus in our poverty. And we have to trust him in our wealth. We have to redefine what the world defines as success. That's a big one. We have to redefine what the church defines as success on the mission field. One sinner who repents, all the host of heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous. And if I could think about what success would be, it would be all of heaven applauding something. That feels like success to me. And it says one. We have to redefine what we call success. We have to reorient our lives. And that's costly. Like there's things that we might treasure now. That Jesus is saying, I need that. I need that because it's hindering you from stepping more fully into what I'm calling you to. These first disciples, they understood this. Drop your nets. Come follow me. Two of them are there with their dad. They leave their dad there. They leave their livelihood there. They leave their boat there. They leave everything they've ever known right there on that beach. And they begin to follow the one who's found worthy. They understood this. Jesus understood the cost. He gave his life for this cost. He gave his life for this purpose to see the nations come. And every single one of his followers gave their life for the same purpose. It's going to cost us. This calling to follow Jesus, it comes with a cost. It comes with a cost to our time. It's a big one. Like we, we talk about this, that the mission field, it's the greatest, it's like one of the greatest graces that God has given us to draw up that stuff that we treasure up to the surface. Because everything we love is going to be confronted on that field. Friends, family, success, wealth, Popularity, greatness, security, comfort, control, power, reputation, the idolatry of being understood. That'll mess with some of us. So difficult to be misunderstood. But this call, the one that makes no sense, when we start to hear from the Lord, go here and do this, leave all of that. Even those who, who, who are following Jesus will look and go, you're out of your mind. And when I look at the scriptures, I talked to Mason before he moved to Alaska. He's selling everything he has and people, good meaning, well-intentioned people are going, you can't do that. You can't leave school. You can't leave, your, you, you can't leave everything that you've started here. And I just said to him, open the book and you tell me what it says. Because if I look at it, leaving everything is what Jesus called us to. But understand this, Jesus did count us to, tell us to count the cost, but there's a difference between cost and loss. Mm, there is a difference between cost and loss. Yeah. Look at Mark 10. We'll see this difference. 
Mark 10, 29 through 31. This is the difference between cost and loss. There is no one who has left house or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands, for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now, and this time, houses, brothers, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. You see, there's a difference between cost and loss. Because we call it, we think it's losing something, but we're actually gaining everything. Yeah. We're gaining everything. It's actually not loss. And so it, it will cost us things, but we're not losing anything. So I just say it's worth it. He's worth it. He's not, he's not trying to take stuff from us. He's a giver. He's always giving. He's giving, giving, giving. He gave his life. He gives us everything we have. He's always giving. He's not taking so we count the cost. Uh, next, location as it re- re- relates to fishing in the natural. Location matters. Like where are you go? Is there any people in here who fish? Even just fish with a rod? You guys fish? You've been fishing before, right? Like where you go fishing matters. In Alaska, we have a hole. It's called the honey hole. That's what, that's what me and my buddies call it, the honey hole. Because we know when we go to that hole... We're catching some fish. And what we really try to guard against is spreading ourselves out into a bunch of different fishing holes where we don't know if we're going to catch fish. So we say, you know, what? we're just going to keep going to the honey hole. But this is what we often do on the mission field is we spread ourselves out in a million different places. And we busy ourselves with a million different things, fishing in this pool, fishing in this pool, fishing in this pool, fishing in this pool. All the while emptied out and not catching any fish in any of them because we've spread ourselves too thin. Where we fish matters. Listen, uh, about five years ago, we went away, my wife and I, some of our, our team in Alaska, went away to kind of a training. And, uh, and, and at the time, I was going to the prison, I was going to the homeless camps, I was going to the homeless shelter, I was going to treatment centers, I was going to the villages, we were going to a bunch of different places, doing a bunch of different things, and I was exhausted. Yeah. And I was of oh, no earthly value to anybody. And we go away to this retreat, and I'm thinking, man, we're going to go learn some, you know, some tools, we're going to be greater miss- missionaries, we're going to reach more people. And we get there, and the guy's like, you need to stop doing everything. Just stop and start over. And he says, where's the one place where you know you're going to catch some fish at? And he said, just start there and start all over from scratch. That's important. It was an important lesson for me to learn. Uh, I oftentimes get calls from people and they say, man, I want to go to the mission field. Where should I start? And I say that's one of the most important questions that you can begin by asking. And until you have an answer to that question, I'm not saying don't go on short-term trips and do short-term things, but I'm talking about when that calling hits you, you better know why, you better know who, you better know the reason for it, and specifically the place and the people group, the location. So my, my, my father in the faith, when I said to him, man, I, wanna, I feel called into ministry. I feel like called to be a missionary. And he, he asked me, I said, what do I do first? And he said, you answer this question. To whom? To whom do you feel called to? Because we don't plant churches just to have more churches. And we don't go on mission just to say we're a missionary. We plant churches to reach unreached people. And we go on mission to reach unreached people. And that is it. And so we have to answer the question, to whom? So then I begin to ask him, to whom? He begins to show me to whom. And then the follow-up question is, and this is how we begin to understand who, who God's calling us to, as we find the answer to this question, what breaks my heart? What breaks my heart? Because if we can get there and we can begin to ask the Lord, what is it that is just breaking my heart? That's going to sustain you. That love, that burden, 
That burden will sustain you for the long haul where you're going to say this breaks my heart and I'm not going to stop until I see the gospel of Jesus Christ fix this brokenness. You see, that question is going to be so important. What breaks your heart? Um, next, Next point. As it relates to fishing, we need someone to teach us the waters. Nobody shows up to a sea. You guys got a huge lake here. I think it's like, what, the fourth or fifth biggest in the world? Is that what it is? It's huge. It's giant. Nobody shows up on Lake Michigan. I sure wouldn't just go out there and figure I'm going to go catch some fish. What would I do? I would find somebody who knows that lake. It would save me a ton of time. It would save me a ton of heartache. It would save me a ton of money, resources, just everything. To find somebody who knows the waters is so important. When we first felt called to start going to the villages of Alaska, uh, Cody's dad is actually one of the first people I called. His dad's a legend, by the way, in Alaska. <laughs> Legendary. Lance Kramer, he is a legend. Uh, and I called Cody's dad because I know he's been there. I know he's been in it. I know he's walked through some things. He has experience out there in the villages, and he's a native man who lives in the village. What better person for me to learn from than somebody who's been there and done it? So we need somebody to teach us the waters, which leads into training. Uh, Training, learning, discipleship. Uh, We have a friend named Christy. She is... Uh, she has a set net site in Dillingham, Alaska. Dillingham, Alaska is the biggest salmon fishery in the world. She has a set net site there. And I talk to her a lot about this message because she just has a, a, a perspective about fishing that I feel like translates so well. Um, and she told me that she would never, ever send someone out into the boat who is unprepared or undertrained. This is coming for someone who has a huge set in it. I hear this again. She said, I'm just going to read it because this is what she said. I would never send someone out into the boat who is unprepared and undertrained. And then she went on to say, there's no such thing as too young or too green. That's a fisherman term. But there needs to be a season of training and learning. And she said, this isn't just a bunch of information. This is apprenticeship. We tend to think of discipleship as sit in a classroom or, you know, hear a sermon or hear the information when it's, it's really a, it's an apprenticeship thing. So what she was saying is that when they have somebody who goes out fishing, set netting, they have somebody who's teaching and they have someone who's learning. And they, this person learning doesn't get to do anything. At first, they just get to watch. And the teacher says, I'm going to do it and you're going to watch. And this is what discipleship looks like. This is what training looks like. I'm going to do it, and you're going to watch. And then I'm going to do it, and you're going to help me. And then you're going to do it, and then I'm going to help you. And then you're going to do it, and I'm going to watch. And we begin to transfer. We begin to transfer what we've shown them. This is the same that's true. Like, you think of a, a doctor. Can you think of a doctor who just sat in a classroom or somebody who picked up a book and they just started reading on brain surgery? It was all information, but they didn't sit there next to somebody learning, watching, observing, training. How much more important the kingdom of God for us to be trained and ready, apprenticed. And what we talk about in this is, is really what it is, is it's, it's, a, it's high accountability, low control. Not trying to control anything. We're just accountable. We're accountable to one another. We're not controlling each other. We're just accountable to one another. And in that, we have to stay humble and we have to stay teachable forever. Still learning a ton. Like actually in this season of my life, it's really all I'm doing on the mission field is just learning, learning, observing, watching, hearing stories, hearing more stories, getting to know the culture, getting to know the people, trying to learn the language, super difficult language. I'm not going to say that I've learned very much at all, but we're learning. And and most in, in this room who are from Alaska say it's just like forever learning. It's a culture that we're going to forever be learning. And so we have to be learning. Uh, next, healthy 
and at full strength. This was the most important thing that me and Christy talked about. Healthy and full strength. I'm going to read what she wrote. She said, people who are wounded or injured while out on the boat put the whole mission at risk. People who are wounded or injured who are out on the boat put the whole mission at risk. When we're hurt, when we're wounded, when we're tired, it's a big one. When we're overwhelmed, when we are burnt out, that's when we begin to make compromise. That's when we begin to make decisions that we otherwise wouldn't make. When we're tired, when we're spread too thin, when we feel like we can't carry it all anymore, we start to make compromise so that we can keep doing the thing. We start to take shortcuts. And as a result, we put the whole, the whole team at risk. Uh, Christy goes on to say this. She says, almost always... Those who lose limbs are people who are hurt and tired. Uh, if you go to Alaska, especially in Dillingham, you'll see a ton of people who got no fingers, injuries. There are lots of them missing fingers oh. because you're fishing with nets. I mean, this is fast moving. That net is rolling and you get your hand cut in there and that net keeps going. There goes your finger. And she said that more often than not, the people who lose the limbs are those who are overworked, those who are tired, or those who are already hurt. Because here, here's the reality is that, like, and I've learned this in my own life, um, myself functioning in a season of hurt and wounding and tired exhaustion is that hurt people will hurt people. It's just that it's the nature of what happens. If you're functioning in ministry out of a place of hurt, you are going to hurt other people. So we need to be full strength. If you're discouraged, you need to be honest. If you're tired, you need to be honest. If you're in over your head, you need to be honest. Just be honest. This is where identity matters. Who you are matters more than what you do. So when we know whose we are, when we know that my, my love from the Father, my affection from the Father is not dependent on what I do, I'm able to be honest. I'm able to go, man, I can't keep doing that. Yeah. It's of no value at all. So we just need to be honest. And listen, this is, this is super important, this, this topic of healthy and full strength. When you're called to the front lines, when you're called to the mission field, Again, you're entering into a war. And no special ops, no Green Beret, no Navy SEALs is not going to send anybody but those who are ready to go. It's super difficult to make it onto the front lines in the, in the field, in the military. Right. And for some reason, we have this thought that we're just going to send anybody, but we have to be so ready, so prepared, so healthy. And so I say, listen, There is no shame or condemnation by saying that we need to grow stronger for a season. That's actually called wisdom. There is no shame and no condemnation if we have to take a break and come off the field for a season. There's no shame in that. That's called wisdom. That's called looking out for your brothers and sisters. That's called wanting to show up to those who were reaching from a place of overflow. Uh, a lot of you in this room have played sports. You think about what happens with a sports team. Somebody gets injured. Like, it's not just like a little injury. I mean, I'm talking like broken ankle. What happens? Dude needs to come off the field, right? Like, you don't put person, people out on the field who are hurt. because. And, and then check this out. Unless somebody, this is why healthy is important, but full strength is important. Because somebody gets a broken ankle and they go back out there and they start trying to play on it too soon before they've had the fullness of the healing. They make it worse over a long period of time. 
so important that when we're out on the mission field, we are healthy. And in order to do that, we need to be honest. We just need to be honest with each other. Uh, next, a team. Join a team. Uh, nobody fishes with nets by themselves. Whenever you see people in the scriptures, you know, Andrew, Peter, James, John, they're doing it together. They're fishing together. You can't pull up a net by yourself. You need at least one other person there pulling the net up with you. There's no way that we can expect that the harvest will come in if we're doing it by ourselves. It just won't happen. Which means that every single one of us has to know our role. We have to know our purpose. We have to fight this um, the spirit of comparison, looking at one another, going, I expect you to do this, or I should be doing that, or how come you get to do this, and how come I have to do this? Listen, that spirit of comparison has to go in Jesus' name. We have to know that each member functioning in their gifts is what displays Christ more fully. Because the, the deposit of the spiritual gift is himself. In each one of us, which means each one of us are as equally as important as image bearers of God to display the image of God together. No member more important than the other member. We need every member together. With that, we have to know our weaknesses. We have to know our weaknesses and we have to be humble enough to say, I'm actually not good at what Josiah is good at. I'm not good at what Jonah's good at. I'm not good at what Carly's good at. I'm not good at what you guys... I have to acknowledge, I have limitations. I have weakness. And if I can begin to acknowledge my weakness, I'll look at my brothers and sisters and say, I actually need you. And you, and you need me. And we need one another to function in this together. We see this. Jesus had 12. Peter, after Jesus' death, is constantly with James and John. Paul has Barnabas, Luke, Timothy, Titus, Silas, Tychicus. How many know about Tychicus? Where's the hands? Nobody about Tychicus. Isn't that interesting? Tychicus is one of Paul's laborers in the gospel. He carried his letters for him from one place to the other. They say Tychicus traveled over 5,800 miles carrying letters. <laughs> unknown. He's unknown. Now I said, who knows Tychicus? Barely, you know, none really go up. 5,800 miles. I looked up this morning actually from here to Miami, Florida. I think it's 1,400 miles. Can you imagine? Somebody's like, hey, bro. Hey, uh, take this letter and just walk it over there to Miami. That just seems wild. Tychicus is like, yup, for the sake of the gospel, I'm going. And we're talking treacherous terrain. We're talking heat. We're talking coal. We're talking ships. We're talk- I mean, just this dude's like, for the sake of the gospel, I'll carry that letter for you, Paul. You see, we need one another. And that's why I say it doesn't, nobody's more important than the other. Without Tychicus, without Tychicus, we're probably not sitting in this room right now. Because we came to faith through the hearing of the word that he carried. It's important that we, we see the value of functioning in a team together and that we are empowering each other in your gifts, calling out, drawing forth. So important. So leads to the next point, mending the net. Uh, it's a fishing term to mend the net. When we were in Dillingham, Alaska, uh, there was this one road that we would drive down all the time. And every day, every day we drove by, there was this older couple sitting out in their front yard and they had nets. I mean, nets everywhere. There were these long nets. Every day we drove by, they're sitting out there and they're tying the nets. Every break in the net. They're mending it. That's what's called mending the net. They're fixing all the broken links in the net. This is where we get the term network from. To be a part of a network of believers, we have to have a working net. Think of it. All these links in a net have to be connected, 
have to be united, have to be together, or else fish pass through the net. This is why Jesus says in John chapter 17 that our love and our unity, our togetherness, is the greatest apologist for the Christian faith. Because he says it's, it's through your oneness, it's through your unity that the whole world will know the love of the Father. So we have to take time. That actually takes time to mend the net. Uh, next, right expectations. This is super important. Having the right expectations when it comes to the mission field. Uh, some days you go fishing and you catch a thousand. Some days you go fishing and you catch zero. Uh, what's your name? Me? Yeah. Philip. Yeah. Yesterday on outreach, one of my favorite stories that I heard was Philip's story. <laughs> yes, yeah, some of you remember it. Philip was like, "Dude, I got rejected eight times." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were out there, and guess what? He's here today. Yeah. Right? When I saw him today, I just rejoiced because he's still he's still going after it, yeah. right? It's one of my favorite. There was great stories. Incredible. I mean, Cosette's like standing up in a witchcraft store. Like, I mean, just just wild stuff. But Philip's story, I left going. I just I prayed for him. I prayed for his heart. I prayed for your heart. And here's the reality of of what this means with right expectations. Philip, is that your name is written in heaven, bro? And this is why Luke 10, when the disciples come back and they're like, oh man, check out all this awesome stuff that demons are subject to us. We're, ca- we're just healing people. We're casting out demons. And Jesus is like, don't do that. Don't do that. And he says, Re- don't rejoice in this, that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Why? Because some days you're going to catch a hundred and some days you're going to catch none. And when you catch none, where's your identity at then? It has to be rooted in the reality that my name is written in heaven. And that keeps us coming back. Sometimes there's great joy. There's great fulfillment. Love. We love fishing because we love people and love compels us. And we have this expectation like, man, we're so compelled by the love of God. We have to do this. But we also have to be understanding like disappointment, rejection. It's going to come. And what do we do when it comes? Where is our identity found at? So having the right expectation, like, I'll get to some more of that here in a second. Next, hard work. It's hard. It's hard. Like, uh, before we all got here tonight, some of us were in this room talking about the mission field. Um, And some of these young ones from Alaska who have been on the mission field in Alaska, every one of us would say, man, it's, it's hard. It's dark. It's dark spiritually. It's dark because it's dark in Alaska. Uh, like Cody lives in a place where for what, like 40 days, the sun doesn't even come up. It's dark and it's cold. What was the coldest this year, you think? Negative 50? Yeah, I mean, it gets cold. It's dark. There's not a whole lot to do. Uh, there's a lot of abuse. There's a lot of addiction. There's a lot of hard things. It's just difficult when you go out on the mission field to unreach people specifically where you're functioning in a place where principalities have been free to roam for thousands of years. And you better believe you're coming up against some stuff and it is hard. There's ups, there's downs, there's victories and there are gut wrenching lows. I mean, things that just you can't even believe what you're hearing. And then you got to carry that. And you got to feel that. Then you have opposition. You have trauma. You're dealing with trauma. Hard stuff. It's hard. Which leads me to my next point. Rest. Because fishing is hard work, we need rest. We need built-in rest. We need time to rest. We need to fight for rest. We need to learn what rest actually looks like for us. Uh, In Mark 6, actually, the disciples, they just come back from a missionary journey, the 12, and they're like, man, we just did all this stuff. The first thing Jesus says to them, come away, come rest a while. It says they had no leisure time to even eat. They've just been working, hard work. They come back to Jesus. Oh, man, we just did all, all this awesome stuff. And Jesus says, come on, let's get away and rest. 
in this time, we can care for our own hearts. We can reflect. We can get away from the noise. Uh, we tend to think like the Gospel of Mark is a funny, it's a funny gospel because from chapter one, it's like demonic man comes into the synagogue and Jesus is casting out a demon. And then it's like deliverance, healing. It's like one after another, just powerful moves of God over and over and over and over and over and over again. And you're like, man, this is like, we got, we got a lot of work to do. But what we don't see is in between the lines. Um, take the, like the Sea of Galilee. They go from the Sea of Galilee up to Syrophoenicia. There's a Syrophoenician woman there. One woman. From Galilee to Syrophoenicia, it's like a 10-day journey. And between Galilee and Syrophoenicia, it's almost all desolate. Like nothing. Which means you are walking along in the silence. Out of all the noise. With the Lord of the Sabbath. For 10 days. Like having campfire services with Jesus. You're like resting in his bosom. You're just chilling with the Lord of the Sabbath for 10 days. And then you go into the city and he reaches one lady. And then you turn around and you got another 10 day journey of just resting with the Lord of the Sabbath. Now that'll mess with our rhythms a little bit. Think of 20 whole days where you're like, man, I just sat with Jesus for 20 days and saw one woman delivered. And guess what? If that was good enough for Jesus, you better believe it's good enough for us. Uh, I, I read a book a little while back. It's called The Three Mile Per Hour God. You guys heard this? Mm-hmm. Hey, Rappi, as fast as Jesus could walk, three miles per hour, and he was the greatest, most effective, most transformative man who ever walked the earth. And all he went was three miles per hour. Because he, when he showed up, He was so intentional. He was so present. He was so there. He wasn't swayed by all the pulls on from society, all the expectations, all make him king. He's leaving it. Right. Like, let's make him king. He's fleeing. His own brothers come to him, say, hey, Jesus, go up to the feast of booths. Show them, show them your, show them your works. And he's like, nope, it's not my time yet. He understood time. He understood rest. I would say that this is the most important lesson that I have learned on the mission field. To not rest, hear me when I say this, to not rest is disobedience. Mm -hmm. It is straight disobedience. Hebrews 4 unpacks this just beautifully. He's like, He says, listen, do not fall in the same sort of disobedience as those who failed to enter into the rest. Do not harden your heart when you hear the voice of the Lord. All of this is around rest. And then he says, he makes this wild statement. And he says, strive to enter his rest. Other other translations say, work hard to enter rest. Make every effort to enter rest. That seems so contrary. But it's because... Resting is oftentimes so much more difficult than working because it feels like I should be doing something. And I would, I would just say, while you're resting, you are doing something. And more importantly, your rest declares, I believe the Lord's work is done even when I'm not doing anything. This is why Jesus is oftentimes doing miracles on the Sabbath. Because it's so evident. While everyone else is resting, he's working. We have to rest. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start moving along here. Um, respect for other fishermen. This is a good one. Respect for other fishermen. Uh, we can't overfish certain places. When you're fishing in the natural, like when you go to play, like in Dillingham specifically, everyone has their plot. Um, Raquel knows this too, like her family on, on the Kuskokwim River, they have their plot, right? They have their plot and they get to fish that plot. And nobody else gets to go over into your plot and just fish your plot. And so we, we have respect for each other's fishing. We, we, we don't overstep each other's bounds. Paul says this in Romans chapter 15. He says, I made it my ambition to preach the gospel where the name of Christ has not been named lest I build on someone else's foundation. 
Uh, in the NLT, I love what it says. He says, I made it my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named, lest I build on someone else's church. So on the mission field, we have respect for other fishermen who are on the field. Like we don't want to divide with them. We want to encourage them. We want to power them. So we don't only respect other fishermen, but we celebrate other fishermen. We help other fishermen. We encourage other fishermen. Because we never know when we're going to be that fisherman who needs help. And those relationships are going to be important. They scream unity. Next, catching fish. Everyone should write this down. Catching fish is not dependent on you. Wow, that's good. Like when we go fishing, I cannot, I have no power, though I wish I did, to make fish under the water go into my net or to make fish under the water bite my hook. I have no power to do that. And the same is true in the kingdom of God. Jesus said that we would be fishers of men. He didn't say I was making you catchers of men. He says, I'm making you fishers of men. We simply fish. The Lord catches. It's His harvest. Some plant, some water, the Lord gives the increase. In Luke 10, Jesus says, no one comes to the Father unless the Son reveals Him. It's His work. It's His harvest. Only He can do it. And so the greatest confidence, the greatest confidence that I have in the mission of God, certainly not in myself or my own ability, my greatest confidence is that Jesus began the Great Commission by saying He has all authority in heaven and earth to accomplish it. It's the greatest confidence I have is that He's the one who can do it. Uh, Next, the harvest. We love the harvest, right? We say... Man, bring in the harvest, Lord. We want the harvest. This is what we fish for. We fish for the harvest. Jesus died for this harvest. Jesus died for every tribe, nation, and tongue. Jesus died so that he might gather in every people group, every people group from every tribe, every nation, every tongue to come worship him before his throne. This is the harvest. And we love the harvest. And when you're fishing in Alaska, especially with nets, you love the harvest. I mean, people, you know, like we take Facebook. I don't have Facebook, but people do. They have like all these fish lined up all over the beach. And they're like, look at all these fish. This is so amazing. You know what it doesn't show them? Uh, What people look like when they're processing all of the fish. Everyone loves to catch fish. You know this. You know this. Nobody loves to process all the fish. This translates into the kingdom of God in such a profound way. We cannot, the command was not to just make converts. The command was to make disciples. And what we do is we love to go and make converts and line them up all down here and take the pictures and put that out there. But we don't love to process people into fullness, into maturity, into following Jesus and not just saying they believe in Jesus, but being disciples who go and make disciples of Jesus. That's what the process looks like. We love to fish. We love to catch fish. We love the harvest. The process is finishing the work. You know what would happen if you were in Alaska and you caught a bunch of fish and you had them on the beach and you just left them there? You'd go to jail. Somebody would beat you up. I'm serious. That's like, no, that's not okay. And this translates so powerfully into the kingdom of God. Colossians 1.28, it says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone. We do that. We warn everyone. We teach everyone. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone, so that we might present them mature in Christ. We might bring them to a place of maturity. And Paul goes on to say, for this is why I toil and strive with all the power that he powerfully works within me to bring it to completion and the fullness of maturity of believers. We have, to, we have to finish the task. The command was to make disciples, not converts. Yeah. 
That's my last point. Uh, This is the most important point. We cannot lose sight of the real mission. We cannot lose sight of the one thing. The one reason, the one purpose, the one who's worth it. We cannot lose sight of the real mission. Which means that fishing for people can never become more important than intimacy with the Lord himself. A.W. Tozer said it this way. He says, we cannot become so consumed with the harvest that we lose sight of the Lord of the harvest. So coming from Alaska, people often ask me, man, why would you drive so far? Like when I go fishing sometimes, I'll like drive. Uh, I just went like two weeks ago and I I drove like three hours to get to a fishing spot. And then I walked like 45 minutes and then I fished. I caught some big fish, but then I walked 45 minutes back and then I drove back home three, three plus hours. So it's like, it's like eight hours of just travel time. And people say like, man, why would you go fish for some fish? And I can't even keep these fish. You just catch them and you put them back, right? Uh, and people, they're like, that just seems ridiculous to me. And I tell them because it's not about catching the fish. It's because that time by myself in that car, that time by myself with the Lord, driving, walking, processing, praying, thinking, alone, by myself, without all the distractions, that's what it's about. I go fishing like that because I get to spend time with my father, not because I'm going to catch a fish. The same is true in the kingdom of God. We see this with Peter, right? After Jesus' resurrection, I love this story. He's like, they're like, what are we going to do? They're sitting around and Peter's like, man, I'm going fishing, right? And they're like, all right, let's go. We'll go too. And they're out in the boat. And they're not catching anything. And this guy, they don't know it's Jesus yet. He comes up, he shows up on the shore and he's like, put your net on the other side. And they're like, what? Like, we've been fishing all this. So they put it over on the other side. Boom, full net. It's like a weird number, 157, I think, or 153 fish or something. And it's like so full. And then all of a sudden it hits him like, it's the Lord. John says, it's the Lord. And Peter like forgets about the whole net that's exploding. He tears his clothes off. He just swims to the Lord. Because for Peter, that it's a picture. That's a picture. For Peter, that full net, that harvest was not as important as being with his Lord. Hebrews 13, 12 and 13, it says, Jesus suffered outside the camp to sanctify a people by his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp. And so Jesus is outside the camp. He's outside our, our buildings, our structures, the normalcy of our life. He's outside where people are unreached. He's out there and we get to go to reach the unreached outside the camp. Why? Because it says Jesus is outside the camp. Some people, they say, man, I, I just feel like I'm not, I'm not feeling Jesus very much. I'm just not having this experience with Jesus very much. I feel like there's not a lot of intimacy. I'm not seeing him at work. And I would say it's directly related to not going to the places Jesus is at. If you want to see Jesus, we go to him where he is at. And sometimes he's resting and sometimes he's going and we're joining him wherever he is at. So I would say like people, I was listening to some guy and he goes, people come and they meet with me all the time. They're like, man, I'm just bored. And he goes, you're not bored. You're disobedient. (laughs) It's just this reality of like, we have to go with him where he's at being near him, wherever that is. Wherever that is, there's nothing boring about this, okay? Like I remember, I'll just, I'm going to just get away from this for a second. When we first came to faith, Aaron and I, we were like your guys' age. And we're, oh man, still am. I just love the Lord so much. I feel like it only gets better. But so many people told us at the beginning, like, ah, yeah. Don't worry about that. You're going to, you know, you'll calm down a little bit. How many of you guys heard that, right? Like you'll calm down a little bit. It's just fresh for you. You're in an exciting time. And 
Man, like, I just rebuke that. That's just not true. Because why? Because, man, since then, I have read this Bible straight through at least once a year, every year, sometimes twice a year, sometimes three times a year, and I've come to know Him more. And the more I come to know Him, the more in love with Him I become. And so, no, we don't lose that. The more we get to know Him, the more on fire we start to burn for Him. So... That intimacy, it's important. Uh, this is why Matthew 28, Jesus says, go into all the world, make disciples. And he says at the end, such an important thing. He says, I will be with you. I will be with you as you go. When Jesus called his first disciples, he calls his disciples, his apostles. It says he summoned those whom he wanted, appointed the 12, named them apostles that they might be with him. And that they might be sent out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Those two statements are so important. He wanted them and they were with him. So. My, my charge to this community. Is that what, what's happening in here. What you guys are experiencing in here, this excitement in here, be excited. There is so much to be excited about in the Lord. I just, I encourage you. I say on behalf of my generation and a generation older than me, we need you. I need you. I really do. I just come here. I'm, I remember my, my, my mentor at the beginning, he said, I said to him, he's like 60 years old. And I said, man, I hope when I'm 60 years old, my heart is burning like your heart is burning. And he said, find yourself someone like yourself. Because you guys keep my fire burning. And so I just encourage you. And I tell you, my wife was just saying in another room, she says it all the time. You guys are at an age right now. Where you can just, you can lose it all for him. I mean, just like everything. And you'll never, ever regret it. You'll never regret it, ever. And all, I mean, like, just keep going. Keep pushing after him. Keep seeking him. Keep praying. Keep asking. Keep knocking. Keep going. Because he's worth it. He died for it. And I'll end with this. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. Therefore, those who live no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for their sake and was raised. We no longer live for ourselves. We live for the one who gave us life. It's not our life anyways. We were purchased with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, in everything. Let's pray.